All right, as you go ahead and have your seats, go ahead and turn to the book of Luke. As we make our way to our seats, let's go to the book of Luke. And uh, before we get into this morning's message, I uh, just have a couple of things. Um, first of all, um, continue to keep Pastor Craig in prayer as he's in the States. And um, I don't know all the details about what has been happening with the, his father's uh, uh, funeral or if there's a viewing or a funeral. I don't know all the details for that. Um, I do know that Pastor's planning on coming back on Wednesday. And so um, he's going to start flying on Tuesday and he'll be here on, on Wednesday. And so uh, continue to pray for him this week. Um, I know it's been very hard. I know he's got a chance to see family and things like that, but funerals are not the best circumstances to go and see family, if you know what I mean. Um, and so just continue to pray for him uh, you know, and, and his family there. Um, also, I want to say thank you so much for all those who came out yesterday and to the shopping center. Um, I believe we were a wonderful testimony to the, the people there in Dunn's. I have not seen Duns that packed. I mean, it was just, people were everywhere. And uh, we had 300 of those packets that we had made up. And we gave up, we gave out almost every single one of those packets. And so over th- almost 300 people got a track uh, yesterday. And, um, and it was just really neat watching, um, you know, John, uh, Manny Sr. back there and, and the children as they're handing out, you know, people were just, their faces just like lit up, you know, that we, that, we were actually giving them a small little gift, and, and, and I really do, I do pray that it makes an impact on their hearts and, and that they'll take um, the track serious and, and make sure that, that uh, they're right with God, first of all. And, um, and so I just want to say thank you so much for those who came out. I think we had like 55 people come out, and so it was a real good blessing. And uh, I mean, it was great because um, uh, Jennifer went into different parts of the, the store there, and um, you could hear us throughout the entire shopping center. And I mean, if you know people who are shopping in Duns, they could hear us. So I mean, you know, all the different shops, they could hear us singing, and uh, and so it was a great testimony. I mean, here they're they're actually hearing the the gospel being sang, and um, again, that's what it's all about. It really is just to be a blessing to our community, and um, and I find it enjoyable. It's something that I look forward to every single year, and I'm looking forward to next year. I really am, and uh, see how uh, you know what the Lord allows us to do for next year. And uh, so again, just want to say thank you so much for those who were able to come out yesterday and, and, uh, and to sing. Um, so as we're here in Luke chapter 2, uh, we'll go ahead and get started this morning in our message. And I want you to look at uh, verse number 1. Now again, uh, the things I'm going to be preaching about this morning are not, you know, something new, so to speak. All I'm doing is I'm, I'm bringing to light things that Sometimes we, we, we take it for granted that, well, we know the story so well, you know, because we've heard it over and, and over and over again. And, but um, uh, God has given us a great promise, and, and that's what I want to um, focus on this morning. And we're going to look at some things all throughout Scripture. Uh, but if we look here at verse number 1, it says here, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, 
to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And now let's go ahead and go to Lord in prayer, and we'll dive into this morning's message. Father, we do thank you so much again for your grace. Lord, as we look at um, this promised child, God, uh, we're going to look at some promises this morning. And I thank you so much, God, that you are a God that keeps promises, that we can trust you, that we can rely upon your promises, we can rely upon your word, that you'll never deceive us, never uh, break your promises. And Father, I just thank you for what uh, Christ has done, and um, I just pray that you would bless this morning's message, Lord. And Lord, you speak to hearts and be with the message. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in way of introduction, uh, this morning, uh, the Christmas season has descended upon us. You know, it's the ninth. We're already seeing all the Christmas uh, lights are sitting, starting to, to be put up in the houses. The Christmas trees are starting to come up. Um, you know, we see it all around our communities. And, uh, and, it, and it's good to see the, the, the Christmas season. So it has arrived. Um, but the world would tell you that it's all about family. It's all about the presents. It's all about the festivity. It's all about Santa Claus and, and, the, and Frosty the Snowman. And, um, but some of the traditions that we now celebrate uh, are now less than 100 years old. The things that we take for granted, they've only been around for about 100 years old for the most part. A lot of the different things that, that um, uh, the world celebrates now. Now, it is not wrong to celebrate uh, as um, time with family and rejoice in the goodness of God. Uh, it's not wrong to, to, to have that family time. But what the world has been trying to do is replace the meaning of Christmas by offering competition and alternatives and leading people away from God. I mean, the majority of the world now, when it comes to Christmas time, they don't think about Christ. They don't think about Jesus and His birth. What they look forward to is, is Santa Claus is coming to town. And sadly, that's, that's how the world has, has taken um, this holiday. And, uh, you know, the original St. Nicholas... I believe he was a born-again Christian. But what has happened is, is that now the world has, has made him just like St. Patrick here. St. Patrick was a born-again Christian. He, was just, he preached just like we preach. He preached the gospel. And yet it, they've, they've changed him and they've made him uh, different than what he was. And, um, and sadly, that's what this is, has happened even in our world today. I mean, St. Nicholas, if he could see what has happened because of, of his name, he would be uh, aghast that... They're now lifting him up higher than his Savior. You know, that the focus is on him rather than his Lord and Savior, the one that he loved and he gave his life for, or, you know, that he, he preached and, and, and wanted other people to know. And he would, he would be heartbroken over that. Uh, but that's what has happened. See, growing up as a child, <clears throat> Christmas was to me uh, all about Santa Claus and getting gifts. I'll just be honest with you, that's what it was. Again, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And uh, my mom, you know, she would always have a nativity. Uh, she'd have the nativity scene set up underneath the Christmas tree. But in the celebration of the holiday, there was very little focus or care on what the manger actually depicted. See, Christmas to me was all about me and, um, and what I wanted for, pre for presents. It was never about God. Never. Now, it was not a fault of my mom. It wasn't her fault. She... she was raising me as, you know, as, as best she could. She, um, again, she didn't really grow up in a... 
Do I have a phone in my pocket? I think so. So give me two seconds here. Yeah, I did. All right, hopefully that's better. Um, and so to us, it was all about Santa Claus, you know. Um, and it wasn't until I became a born-again Christian that Christmas gained a whole new meaning to me. It was no longer about me and my search for finding the perfect gift for others. You see, I now realize that Christmas was about the fulfillment of a promise that God made 6,000 years ago. And the birth of Jesus was more than just about a baby in a manger. It was the realization of God's promise to mankind. And uh, this morning we're going to look at what is so special about this promised child. But in order to do that, we have to go back to Genesis. And so let's go back uh, to Genesis chapter 2. Without understanding why Jesus came, it's, it's very hard to understand the whole point of what salvation is. And so that's why we need to go back to Genesis and learn what was the point of Jesus even being born. And so in Genesis, let's go to look at chapter 2 and verse number 7. It says here, And the Lord God formed a man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight uh, and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now jump down to verse number 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him an helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, um, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. He took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man." Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So you see here in the beginning, uh, God created Adam and Eve, and everything was perfect regarding their surroundings. I mean, everything was absolutely beautiful, uh, absolutely perfect. And so you can't say it was their surroundings that, that made uh, Adam and, and Eve disobey. But God, as we read here, gave only one commandment to Adam to not do. And that was to, to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was it. One rule. One commandment. That's all he had to do is just obey that one rule. But we see here and we read here that Eve was then created after the commandment from God. And that she was told by Adam not only to not eat the fruit, but to not even touch it. We're going to look at that here in a minute. 
Now, he didn't understand what death was. Because when, when God gave him this promise, the, the day that he would eat that fruit, uh, that he would die, I don't think he understood what, what death was. He didn't understand it. But he knew that it wasn't good. And he wanted the woman that he loved more than anything else to be safe from being anywhere near it. He didn't want her to eat it. And so that's why I believe that he told her, don't even touch it. You know, go nowhere near it. You know, this is for your safety. Just, just stay away from this thing. But sadly, one day Eve was alone. And Adam was not around to protect her. She was vulnerable. And that is when Satan chose his moment to act. Let's go over to chapter 3 real quick. And verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So we look here in verse number 3. Did God tell Adam not to touch it? No. He said it was okay to touch. He just couldn't eat it. So we see here, obviously Eve was told, don't touch it. Somehow she, she was told that. And so, um, so we see here, she, t t you know, touching it. Uh, verse number four, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, when your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Verse number 6 says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. You can imagine when she first took that fruit, you know, maybe she plucked it from the tree, don't, we don't know. But when she was, was touching it, she was thinking, hmm, nothing's happening to me, you know? Uh, what, what Adam told me isn't, isn't true. And so maybe in her, her own mind, she was wondering, well, what else was I told that wasn't true? Or what else was I not told? You know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe the serpent is right. Maybe God doesn't want me to be like him. Maybe God doesn't want me to be a God myself. And so uh, she decided to eat the fruit. Verse number seven, the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, was Adam, you know, or was God not knowing where Adam was at? Of course he knew where Adam was at reason why God was asking, Adam, where are you? He wanted, he wanted Adam to confess. See, he knew that Adam had sinned. And he wanted uh, Adam to come forward and, and to, to repent. To, to, you know, but he didn't. Because look where he was at. Um, verse number 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He felt that shame that he had disobeyed God 
that he had broken the one commandment that God had for him. Then he knew that he was not worthy to, to have that fellowship with God. Verse number 11 says, And he said, Who, hath, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Now again, is this all new to God? No. He knew that Adam did this. He's trying to get Adam to respond. He's trying to get Adam to, to confess that he had done wrong. But look, Adam doesn't repent right here. Look what he does instead. In verse, um, yeah, verse number 12, this is his response. He didn't, he didn't go forward and say, God, yes, I did wrong. I broke your commandment. Instead, he, the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So rather than confess and, and, and get right with God for his own sin that he dis, of disobeyed, of being disobedient, he instead shifts the blame. He tries to blame Eve. But not only was he just blaming Eve, he was actually blaming God. See, look at here, he said, the woman that thou gavest me. It wasn't just Eve's fault, it was your fault, God. You're the reason why I disobeyed. And so you see here, uh, his heart was not right with God. Look at verse number 13, And Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? Now, God has given her the opportunity to repent, to, to, uh, to confess what she has done. But she doesn't. She follows the same exact example that Adam does. And look what she does. Um, and the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So again, they're not, they're not taking account, or they're not taking responsibility for what they did. They're trying to shift the blame instead. And God knew all this, and so he, he was trying to get them to, to come to the point where they knew that they had broken God's laws, but they were not, they're being, they're, they're being very stubborn, as we would say in America. Uh, they weren't um, heeding what God was trying to, to get them to do. And uh, verse number uh, 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. But then he gives Eve a great promise. He said, It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now again, he's, he's promising here to the serpent that, uh, look, you may bruise uh, or it's, you know, the son of uh, of or the, the seed of Eve and Adam is going to one day bruise your head. Talking to Satan, not talking to the serpent. But he's talking to Satan who, is, who took over the serpent. Even though thou shalt bruise his heel. And we're going to look at that more tonight. Now when, when um, Adam and Eve ate that fruit, a part of man died. And he now had a sinful nature. In order to protect the tree of life, Adam and Eve were then exiled from Eden. But before they left, God um, made them clothing and gave them the promise that one day their seed would, would give victory over Satan and that death would be conquered. Uh, but Adam and Eve, they had a child whom they named Cain. We see that in, in Genesis chapter 4. And she gave uh, honor to God for, for this gift of life. 
Um, so you see that they're somewhere in between chapter 3 and chapter 4, I believe they repent of what they've done wrong. But it doesn't keep them from the consequences. They're still going to have to abide by the curses that God has brought upon Adam and Eve and the, and the, and the world because of their sin. But when Cain is born, she honors God. Um, but sometimes I wonder if she thought that Cain was the answer to, get to God's promise because she named her next son Abel, which means empty or, or, excuse me, or vanity. So I wonder if she thought, well, this, this must be the promised child. You know, this is what God has given to me. He, he said that he would give me a seed, and this, is, this must be the promised child. But sadly, neither of these sons were the promised one. And their story would be a tragic one, as we read in chapter 4. But towards the end of chapter 4, a son was born to Adam and Eve after Abel was killed by Cain. And it was through this line, God would keep his promise to Adam and Eve. And uh, sons were born to Seth, and the line continued. But were any of these the promised child and Savior? No, they were not. So let's look at some of the promises that God had made throughout the generations. Uh, the first one is uh, to Noah. <clears throat> Turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Verse number 18. Now again, uh, God has told Noah that there is a flood coming. Uh, the whole world was corrupt before God, but Noah alone found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so God, here between chapter eight or verse number 8 to verse number 18, God is, is talking to uh, Noah about what's going to happen with this, with this flood and giving him instructions to build the ark. But verse number 18 says, But with thee, talking to Noah, shall I establish my covenant, that thou shalt come unto the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of thy, of thy flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing in the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. To take uh, thou unto thee all the food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather to thee, and it shall be food for thee and for them. And thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. So God gave the commandment to Noah, look, I'm making a covenant with you uh, that everything's going to be okay, that, that you're going to survive this flood, uh, and that the, the covenant of promise was going to go through you. Now let's look at Abraham. He's the next one that God makes a covenant to, a promise to. Uh, Abraham. So let's go to Genesis chapter 12. Just a few pages to the right. Now there, there was a lot of different promises given to different people all throughout Scripture in regards to the Messiah coming. We're not going to look at all of them. We're going to look at a good portion of them this morning. So Abraham, look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and three, one through 3. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of, thy, out of the country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing." And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So here God has given this covenant, this promise to Abraham, that one day all families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Uh, and that was, and we're going to see that this promise as it goes through the ages. Turn with me to chapter 17 and verse number 7. Verse number 7 says, And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee and their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. Look also in verse number 19. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son, indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. So you see here, God is keeping this promise, this covenant with him. Uh, Galatians 3.16 says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is ultimately Christ. Um, let's go to the next one here. Moses. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Fifth book of your Bible there. Now Moses is a descendant from Isaac and Jacob, uh, and then through the, the tribe of Levi. And so here Moses, uh, is he was given the law by God. And look at verse number uh, 15 of chapter 18. Here Moses is going to prophesy about a coming prophet. Look at 18.15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken, shall listen. Look at uh, verse number 18 and 19. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Uh, let's go the next one here. Let's look at David. 2 Samuel. Keep going to the right. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Again, I want you to see here, uh, God has, has, has promised this, uh, that the Messiah would come, that um, Eve's seed would gain victory. And, and it was a, a promise that has gone through uh, generation after generation. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Verse number 12 and 13. And when thy days be fulfilled, here God is, is, is talking uh, through Nathan here, um, that, a promise that, that God is making to David. He says, And when, thou, when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. And uh, he shall build a house... For my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, was he talking specifically about Solomon to a degree? Yes, this is what's called a dual prophecy. So he was talking about Solomon, yes. But was Solomon going to reign eternally over the throne of David? No. But he was talking about there was a, a future seed that was going to come through the line of David. And David, of course, is a, is a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, look at... Um, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. 
So vast uh, Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7. Now these are familiar scriptures because we know them so well. But again, these were uh, uh, prophecies and prophecies that God has given to His people to look for the Messiah, to be aware when He arrives, to, to see that He has come. Um, Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah's birth and the sign that would be given to men that it is Him. 7.14 says this, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so here uh, we see this promise here. But also look at chapter 9 and verse number 6. Isaiah again says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Look also at uh, verse number um, or 11, verse number 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So we're seeing here that there is a rod, meaning there's, there's going to be rulership. And again, talking about the Messiah coming uh, through the line of, of uh, David there. And let's look at uh, what Daniel said. Daniel chapter 9. So keep going to the right. Again, we're going through the ages here. Daniel chapter 9. The promises of God were never, um, were never broken. Daniel chapter 9. Right before the minor prophets there. Look at verse number 24. Here he's promising, he says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring an everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now uh, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore, to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks, uh, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. Now, when Daniel was prophesying, was the wall of Jerusalem built? No. Nehemiah was going to be doing that, as we've been learning about this year. So, God was saying to, 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 to Daniel, look, uh, the wall is going to be rebuilt. And, uh, and that actually happened in, in the days of Nehemiah. Um, in verse number, uh, let's see here. 26, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, meaning he's going to be killed, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the, the war desolations are determined. Now, not all that is being prophesied here in these three, in these three verses has come to, to, to pass yet. Uh, Jerusalem was destroyed by Emperor uh, um, by Titus, and so he wasn't the emperor, but he was one of the generals, destroyed uh, Jerusalem in 70 A.D. and absolutely leveled it, destroyed the temple, everything. And uh, so some of that verse number 26 hasn't come to pass just yet. But here Daniel is prophesying that there's a time frame. 
and that the time frame has almost been completed and that the more the Messiah will come. Now let's go to Micah. Go to Micah. A few more books to the right here. Micah chapter 5, verse number 2. See, now as we get closer to the New Testament, God is beginning to get more specific, isn't He? He's now rather just a general promise. Now He's saying, look, a virgin is going to give a son. Um, look, he's going to, His name is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. Um, now, we're, it's, it's actually the time frame that after the wall of, of Jerusalem was going to be built, um, so you see here, it's starting to get closer and closer and closer. And so Micah uh, chapter 5, verse number 2, uh, now it says here, um, he, uh, Micah here is prophesying, it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, he's prophesying about Bethlehem, he said, thou, or, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, in other words, it was just a small little town. There wasn't anything really significant about Bethlehem. He said, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Talk about the promise that God had given back to, in Genesis, to, to Eve and to Adam. And so here we find out that, that, that the, the Messiah, the Savior, uh, this promised seed was going to be born in Bethlehem. And then now let's look at Luke chapter 1. To Zacharias and Elizabeth. Luke chapter 1, verse number 67. Now, John the Baptist has been born, and here Zacharias is now prophesying. It says here, And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost, and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which we looked at, didn't we? We looked at Isaiah, we looked at Moses, we looked at Daniel, we looked at Micah. Uh, we see all this promise that he has, has been pronouncing. Um, he says here, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, and that he would grant unto us that we would being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, now he's, talking, now he's now prophesying to his son, to, to, um, to John here. He says, For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, uh, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet unto the way of peace. So he's talking to his son, John, that John, you're going to, uh, he's just a little babe at this time. He said, John, you're going to go before the Messiah. You're going to preach that he is coming and that you're going to turn people back to God and, um, and prepare the people for when the, for when the Messiah comes. And that's exactly what happens. 
So we see here God uh, has, has promised all throughout the Old Testament up until even here in Luke uh, that this promised child that he had promised back all the way to Genesis chapter 3 that is now coming to fruition and that would one day have the victory. And so let's look at that promised child real quick. Let's go to, um, if you look here, Luke chapter 1, back to verses 26 through 35. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 35. It says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was set from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the, ho- of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Um, and the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Again, we see the promise here fulfilled, isn't it? That David was given back in 2 Samuel. Uh, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Again, he was uh, given that promise back to to Abraham. Uh, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore... Also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who is, was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And look what Mary, her response is. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now, when just as uh, back in, when Noah, God had said, look, Noah, this is what uh, is going to happen. It was up to Noah whether or not he built the ark, wasn't it? It was up to Noah whether he said, yeah, I, I believe you, God. I believe what you're telling me is right. And so Noah did everything according to the T to what God had promised him and told him to do. And so that, that saved his family. Now, uh, the angel Gabriel is now telling Mary, look, this is, what, uh, this is what's going to happen. But he, I, I truly believe that he was leaving the decision up to Mary. I don't think God forced Mary to become the mother of, of Jesus. Instead, I believe he gave her the decision. That's why, if you look here in verse number 38, Mary said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. So she said, okay, if, that's what, if this is what is going to happen, I'll go ahead and go with it. So God gave Mary the decision to do that. I truly believe that. He didn't force Mary to become the mother of, of Christ. He allowed Mary to make that decision. So the, we see that the mother was chosen. Now we're going to see that Joseph, the earthly father, was chosen as well. Matthew chapter 1, go back to the book of Matthew, two books over. So God is setting up everything. Um, for his son to make his entrance. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Again, we read that in Isaiah, didn't we? Uh, then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So we see here that God didn't just you know, uh, make the promise to Mary. He also chose Joseph as well. Because God knew that every child needs to have a mother figure and a father figure in a family. Because there's things that a father brings to a, a, a relationship to, to help with children that they need. They need that. And so uh, God knew that, that uh, his son needed that, that good role model. And we know that Joseph was a just man. So um, uh, he, had a man, he was a man of integrity. And that he could trust that, that Joseph was going to teach and, and, and to take care of, of Mary and, and of Jesus. And so God chose uh, both Mary and Joseph, but he let them make the decision. You know, Joseph could have said, you know, I don't, I don't think so, God. Not interested. You know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't really believe what you're telling me. Um, I, don't, I want out of this relationship. You know, he could have said that, but he didn't. He said, okay, God, if this is what's going to happen, count me in. Now, he didn't know what was all going to happen. Um, he didn't know nine months later or a few months later that they're going to have to travel to Bethlehem. He didn't know any, anything like that was going to happen. But he knew that God had given a promise and, and had asked him to, to, to do these things. And so he said, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then let's go ahead and go to the arrival of the birth. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Verse number 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, uh, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now, I'm glad that he included all people. He didn't just say to the Jews, uh, but he said for all people. That includes us. That includes Gentiles. 
those who were not of the, the promised uh, the children of, of God, uh, um, but that include all of us as well. Uh, verse number 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So we see the arrival uh, of Jesus' birth. So why, why am I really talking about what, what's the whole purpose of the promise? Yeah, yeah, we see this, we've seen through the ages. Uh, yeah, Jesus has been promised, he's uh, for, for 6,000 years. Uh, until Jesus is born. Yeah, we see that. God, God kept that promise. But what's the point? Why, why is that important to me? Uh, first of all, this child of promise was given to the world. But it wasn't his birth that was the importance of who Jesus is. You see, this child didn't stay a child for all of eternity. He grew up and he became a man. And what Jesus accomplished as a man is why we celebrate his birth. You see, Jesus was promised to mankind as a fulfillment of correcting the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Jesus was born to pay for the sin of not only just all of mankind from time past and to the future, but for your sin specifically. He died on the cross for your sin. Not just the sins of the whole world. That's, that's a very cliche answer that people use. You know, you, you, know, you ask somebody, why, why did Jesus die? Oh, for the sins of the whole world. Yes, but he died specifically for your sins. Everything that you have done in your life, everything that, um, every lie that you've told, everything that you've stolen, uh, every time you've taken the Lord's name in vain, Jesus was crucified for that. Everything that you've done in your past and everything that you're potentially capable of doing in your future. Now, it is his death and resurrection that makes his birth so remarkable. But that isn't the end. See, God has given you and I several promises, and the most important promise is eternal life. See, you can trust God because He keeps His promises. Though it was 4,000 years from the fall of man to, the, to Jesus' birth, it was according to God's plan. At the fullness of time, in other words, when the scene of the world events and everything was ready, Jesus was born. He was born right at the perfect time. Go with me if you would to Galatians chapter 4. Real quickly, Galatians chapter 4. Several books here to the right. If you've gone to Ephesians, you've gone too far. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son unto your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Um, Howbeit then, um, then when ye, when, ye, when ye need not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. So he's talking here, look, uh, at, the, at the, the time that was perfect, that was when Jesus came. See, God's promises are sure. They're trustworthy. They're dependable because, first of all, He cannot lie. He cannot deceive you into believing something that is a lie. God is too holy for that. Titus 1, verses 2 and 3 says, In hope of eternal life, which God, 
that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So what the point I'm trying to make here is, look, we saw the promise that God made to Eve, didn't we? And he kept that promise all the way through uh, generations for uh, 4,000 years. He kept that promise. So when he promised that every single person who would call upon the name of Christ for salvation would repent of their sin, he said, I give unto you eternal life. That's a promise. So if God's not going to break the promise that he gave to Eve, he won't break the promise that he's given to you. You can't lose your salvation. Uh, you can't, uh, God can't just take it back because then he'd be breaking his promise. Because Jesus purchased forgiveness for our sin and reconciled us to God, he now offers salvation freely to anyone who would turn from their sin and believe in faith that Jesus did everything for you to be right with God. He has promised that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. So we see, I want you to see this promise this morning that he was so faithful to keep this one promise to Eve, that just as he has promised in uh, Romans 10, 13, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that's a promise to us, that he'll keep that promise. All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord, repent of your sin, and trust him as your Savior. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, God wants everybody to be saved, not just, uh, just a, a certain few. And He's not slack concerning His promise. He's very long-suffering. I'm thankful that He was long-suffering at least for 17 years for me, that I didn't die before I heard the gospel, that I was able to trust Him as my Savior. And for some people, He's been very long-suffering that he is, He's given you grace, that He's given you opportunities to hear the gospel, He's given you chances to, to trust His Son before uh, you were to pass into eternity. But how many of us have in here said, ah, not for me, ah, not interested, not right now, uh, I've got other things I've got to worry about, um, I'll, I'll do that later, I'll do that another time. I did that for several weeks before I got saved. But it wasn't until God spoke to my heart saying, look, if you don't trust Christ as your Savior, you're on your way to hell. You know what? Life is too precious. We never know what's going to happen out here. You know, we're, we're just one car wreck or one heart attack away from eternity. We don't know uh, what could, when, when our days are done. We have no idea. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't keep putting it off because you're not, you're not promised another day. Our life is but a vapor. And so if you're here and you've never been born again, if you don't, if you don't know for 100% certainty that heaven is your home, that your sins have been forgiven, don't leave here this morning with that doubt because it's not worth risking hell in eternity, not knowing. And so I, I do plead with you, if you don't know, come see me, talk to me. I'd love to show you what the Word of God says, how you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven, that you have eternal life, that you will go to heaven. See, 1 John 2.25 says, And this is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life. He's promised us eternal life, but there's conditions to it. You have to be born again. So not only has Jesus promised salvation to all who would come to Him, but He also promised to one day return as a conquering king. 
When Jesus was crucified and he rose again, he didn't just go up to heaven and just be there for the rest of eternity. No, one day he's coming back. We don't know when. We don't know uh, what, day, what hour it is. But one day, one of these days, there's going to be a trumpet that's going to be blown in heaven. And God is, is going to say, Jesus, go get your bride. And every born-again Christian uh, is going to be called up in the air. And the rest of the world is going to be left, those who don't know Christ as their Savior. And they're going to go through seven years of hell on earth. And, um, and the sad part is, is there's going to come a time where people cannot die. And they're going to go through the wrath of God. It's not a place that you want to, to be in. That is something that's going to happen in the future. Uh, Acts 9, 1 verse 9 through 11 says, And when he had spoken these things, when they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He is coming back. We just don't know when. That's why we don't need to take, we don't, we don't need to take our life flippantly. That look, uh, he is coming back. He can come back any moment. He can come back today. We don't know. But I do plead with you, if you've never been born again, don't let that happen. Because when he comes back, there's going to be no second chances. You're not going to say, oh, well, I believe now. You're not going to believe. God says he's going to give a strong delusion. In other words, you'll believe whatever the world says happens, whether it's aliens or you know something. You never know. The world has, has got things already in plan that, uh, that they're going to say is going to happen if this thing called the rapture ever happens. Um, and people will believe it. They'll believe it. So this morning, trust in God's faithfulness and His promises. He keeps every promise that He makes to you, every single one of them. Uh, Hebrews 10, verses 22 and 23 says, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. God won't break His promises to you. And so I just want you to, to, to trust that God is going to keep His promises. Um, so this morning, just as a conclu uh, conclusion here, Christmas to a Christian should be the celebration that God sent His promised child and His Son purchased eternal salvation for all who would believe. Now, every single time you see that little baby in a manger, that's not what we're just celebrating. We're actually celebrating what Jesus did for us. That's the whole reason why we rejoice of the, the birth of Christ. Because it wasn't just the birth that was special, it was what Jesus actually did on the cross for us. Um, and so that's what makes, should make Christ, Christmas special to a Christian. Not the rest of what the world offers, but what God has promised to us and that He has saved us. Uh, because of Adam and Eve's decision to sin and disobey God, all of their descendants were cursed with death and a sinful nature. But God promised to fix everything by sending a promised child, which was Jesus Christ. I just, I just I plead with you this morning, you can trust God because He keeps His promises. God's promises are trustworthy. They're sure. They're settled. They're dependable because He cannot lie. Because Jesus purchased forgiveness of our sin and reconciled us to God, He now offers salvation freely to anyone who would turn from their sin 
and believe in faith that Jesus did everything for you to be right with God. And lastly, he promised to one day return as a conquering king. Can I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for that? Are you ready for when he returns? Do you know if you're going to be gathered up in the air with him? Or do you not know? Are you worried that you might be left behind? The Bible has those answers for you. And you can trust them. So I ask this morning, are you ready this morning? Let's go ahead and go to to Lord in prayer and we'll sing our invitation hymn. Father, we thank you again for your grace. Father, I do thank you that you do keep your promises. Lord, that um, things that we can trust in, the, the words of Scripture that all through the ages that you have promised some great things for us and to us. But the greatest promise that you have given is eternal life, that our sins are forgiven. I am so thankful, Lord, that you have promised to give us eternal life. And it doesn't, just, it doesn't start when we die, but it, trusts the, it starts the moment that we become born again. And Father, I just ask this morning, Lord, if there's someone here that does not know you as their Savior, they've never been born again, they don't know what it means to be born again, they don't know for sure if, if heaven is their home, they have no idea, God, that you would speak to their heart, that they would not leave this morning with those doubts, with those uncertainties. Because Lord, the world will distract them and they'll soon forget what they were thinking about. Lord, I do ask if, uh, if that is the case, Lord, that you would bring to remembrance things that were preached about this morning. God, that they know that, that they would need to trust you as their Savior. Otherwise, they're on the path to hell for all of eternity. And Father, I know that you don't want them to go there. Father, you love them so much. But I just ask, God, that um, there's anyone here that, that doesn't know that they would get saved. And Lord, for those who are here and born-again Christians, Lord, I hope that this morning is just as God that you promised to Eve that you would fix a situation and that it did happen, that it did uh, come to fruition, Lord, that we can trust your promises, that we can rely upon them, we can hope in them, that we can have the peace and the joy that you give to us because your promises are true, that they are sure, that they are reliable, and that we can uh, trust you and put our faith in you. Lord, help us when the times of doubt come, when the times of skepticism and the kind the times of of um lord just looking at and just wondering god are you there god that we would be reminded that lord you are true that you do love us and that you're there and that you will never forsake us father we do thank you again for your grace in jesus name we pray amen